three, two, one. System and Soul, we are bringing you a special series over the next few weeks, hosted by our friend Jennifer Zick. Jennifer Zick is the CEO of Authentic Brands, and she is doing a series for us, for you, to learn how to dig deeper in making your marketing strategic for where you want to go with your business. I love her tagline, avoiding random acts of marketing. And so she's going to take us into both the strategic and the tactical through a series of interviews with some of her friends over the next few weeks. Hope you enjoy. This is something new for us. So give us some feedback on how you're enjoying it. Maybe we'll do a few more in the future. Welcome everybody to the System and Soul podcast. I am your guest host, Jennifer Zick. I'm the CEO and founder of Authentic Brand. We're a community of fractional CMOs that help growing businesses to overcome random acts of marketing and confidently take the next right step in growth. And one really important part of building an authentic brand is connecting with the soul of an organization. So I'm really excited about the work that the System and Soul team is doing to help business leaders and entrepreneurs and companies uh, 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 really focus on both the systems and the heart and the soul of their organization. And I'm so Thankful to be collaborating with them and in this mini series and bringing some of my favorite people, business leaders and marketing minds and growth minded leaders into the conversation to talk about building authentic growth and in this theme of the year of authentic growth. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to introduce my friend, Ryan Tansom. I would love to just turn the virtual microphone over to you, Ryan, and have you introduce a little bit about yourself and your business. Take it away. Thanks, thanks, Jennifer. And I'm one of your favorite people that's uh, saying a lot. That's a lot of pressure. Um, so my intro is not going to be as refined, but uh, I will say that I'm the founder, uh, co-founder of Arcona. And we started the business back in 2018. And it led, for it, and which we're going to get into from my dad and I selling our family business in 2014. And it was, so we have a business that does uh, education uh, training for business owners on how to grow the value of their business with an end in mind. It's called the Intentional Growth training. And we also have a framework. And once people get out of that, we offer fractional CFO services that really helps bridge where people are at today to where they want to be from the value that they want to create and really just uh, creating the financial lens for them to make the decisions that they want so that they can actually make progress instead of spinning their wheels, which I know we uh, talk a lot about in the operating system world. So yeah, that's, that's me. That's awesome. And I love that you explain the work that you do in the terms of creating a, a framework for making decisions, because really that's what operating systems of any kind are really all about. They don't make the decisions for you as the owner or leader of your business. They create a framework and ask difficult questions so that you make decisions. And by making decisions, you're building intentional and hopefully also authentic growth. So you and I have talked quite a bit, Ryan, in the past about what healthy growth means and the fact that a lot of business owners really have never defined that for themselves or for their leadership teams and organizations. Your business focuses on this concept of intentional growth. So tell me what that really means. Unpack that for us. And why is intentionality important in growth? Um, I'm going to use one of my favorite analogies. So when we all think about Google Maps, it's literally like one of the most powerful tools on the planet with all the data and everything that they have. And if you don't plug in point B, nothing. 
it's completely useless. You have to know where you're going in order to figure out, are you going to walk? Are you going to fly? Are you going to bike? Are you going to skateboard? Are you going to swim? And then where are you going and what pit stops do you need to have along the way? And how that relates to what we're talking about here in your question is that, you know, when my dad and I had our business, we were doing about 20 million in revenue and it was always the next revenue goal, right? Like we're going to go from 10 to 15, to 15 to 20, and we're going to go from 50 employees to hundred employees. And then we're going to get launched this new product or this new location. Why? <laughs> like no one stops really and asks why. Well, you know, I think there are three main things that every entrepreneur wants to do, which is enjoy work, create wealth and make an impact. But we don't know how our business fits into that real fundamental goals that we have as human beings. And so that point B are not just those metrics that I mentioned, which are important, but it's about creating value with this multidimensional goal that you goals that you might have of like, what do you want to do with yourself and your business? What impact do you want to make? with your stakeholders, your employees, all these different things, creating a more valuable business creates the choices that we all want to make sure that what we've identified is important to us, that we can actually hit it. And so I think it's really just really making that, that focus on the, the point being really refining, what does that mean? Then we can intentionally grow to make sure we accomplish what we're trying to, what we're trying to do. I love that. And you and I have spoken in the past on your podcast about what Authentic Brand does in terms of helping entrepreneurial businesses grow um, with intentionality by beginning with defining their life-changing purpose, their reason for existence, their big why. Because without that fundamental agreed upon by owners and all of their leaders, they could be moving in very different directions, even within the leadership team, right? And I appreciate that you said that having that answer creates value in the business and opens opportunity and creates choices. So really, when you think about the things that an owner wants out of their business, building wealth, making an impact, all of those things, it really means having more of an investment mindset than just accomplishing mm -hmm. that next goal, right? Whether that's mm -hmm. number of employees or size of the business. So why is it so important to have an investment mindset and do you see investment mindset with most of the entrepreneurs that you encounter? Really good question. And I want to, I want to take a step back and unpack it a little bit to give some context because you're, you're hitting on a crucial point, Jennifer, that I think a lot of people haven't really figured out how to articulate lifestyle business investment mindset. Like what is the, what do the, all these things mean and what are the attributes of one versus the other? So I'm going to use my dad and I as example, like when we had our business, you know, we call it, it was a $20 million business, but I would call it a lifestyle business. How much money can we optimize for each year from take home, from distributions, our perks, making sure we're paying our taxes, paying our salaries, and then what? So it's optimizing for annual income. And we've had hundreds of people go through our training, interviewed hundreds of people on the podcast. And I'm going to say the lower middle market, which we define as like a couple million in revenue to call it a couple hundred million in revenue. If they're not private equity backed or venture capital backed, they don't know what's driving value because they, unless they've been through an exit and says, hey, by the way, this is what created value. So it's about understanding what creates value, but what, how that impacts people's behaviors, Jennifer, is that my dad and I, when we said, okay, what are we doing every year? We have different ideas of what we want. So, you know, the vision or the VTO, whatever it is, what do we want from this business? There's only so much cash flow. <laughs> so we have to have some sort of, some true sort of story. agreement on, right? True story for everybody that's listening in. So pay your taxes, make sure you allocate that money. But if you're doing like a million in EBITDA, 
let's say you pay your taxes. We're here in Minnesota. And it's like, let's say you're at, you pay 300 grand. Just assume now you get 700 grand left. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to take it home or are we going to reinvest to hit our growth goals? And what is the give and take and the trade-offs of that? And I am so com or so confident because that most people don't know what their company is worth and what, if they're going to reinvest a half million bucks, what does it do? Can you track that value? People will be way more excited to reinvest in marketing or an ERP system or a new employee if they knew I'm going to do this and it's going to take my company from a $5 million valuation to six versus how much money can I take home? Because think about that decision of what you're sitting in a management meeting and we're like, hey, Jennifer, we got to hire a VP of sales. It's 120 grand and we're going to, it's going to take 18 months to ramp up. That's money out of my pocket as the owner. So yeah. when people are sitting in those management meetings, that's really with a decision that for, that's how the first part of the decision starts is, is this worth it for me today as the owner or not? Distributions or reinvestment, then why? So I think it's really this lifestyle versus long-term value growth. If people grow more value, they have more choices, but they need that framework to be able to make those decisions. So let me go a little on a bit of a tangent just for our listening audience here. It. I'd love your thoughts on this. Does lifestyle business have to be at odds with building value? Is lifestyle business, a, a you know, that for a lot of people, they think of that as a, as a negative, right? Oh, you're just mm -hmm. leading a lifestyle business. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I don't think there's not a bad choice one way or the other. It, you have to know what you're doing. So here, let's, let's, let's unpack what I see so much. And this is over the last eight years I've been doing this is that someone comes to me and says, I want out. First of all, out of what your job or the investment? First of all, they don't even have an answer for that most of the time. Then we say, okay, like if you were to say that to me, it's usually because people have burnt out of their job and running the business. And it's like, well, then, hey, Jennifer, in order to, you know, go from a few million dollar valuation to six or seven or 10, you're going to have to spend the next four or five years taking all the distributions, reinvesting them to get the value that you want. And by the way, you hate your job. That doesn't sound like fun, right? It's, it's those lack of choices, that we have when we need them the most, that is the definition of a lifestyle business because you've trapped yourself into a job and you don't know it. Mm. So let's so let's talk about what, what are the alternatives. So there's a gentleman that went through our training. He has a couple million dollar recruiting business, high margins, high cash flow, but highly reliant on the owners. They're, I mean, truly the people are their their network and the Rolodex is their business. The per, the, pers the person that says, you know, wakes up and says, I want out. And they need the financial liquidation of that asset. Mm -hmm. And they think it's worth five times more than it is. That is the, that's what we're talking about here is it was not intentional. They had a bit, they had a business that was mainly just a job. They weren't aware of it. Didn't know the value versus waking up and saying, Hey, this is the value of my company. I always know what it is. I kind of want to be out of my day to day. I'm going to hire Jennifer as my CEO. It's going to cost me a couple hundred grand, but I can afford it through my distributions. And I'm just going to give myself some time to think completely different. It's all about expectation setting and understand what creates value and what are your choices at any given point so that way you don't get trapped. Listener, I know you're enjoying this episode with our friend Jennifer, so I'll be brief, but I've got to fess up. We screwed up big time. Me and my business partner, Chris White, we've done all the wrong stuff when it comes to running a business. We've hired too quickly, fired too late, wasted resources, picked the wrong objective. The list is long. It goes on and on. I won't bore you. Here's the thing we've learned though. I think it'll save you some of the mistakes that we've made. The only way to fight the chaos and complexity that is constantly coming at you is to get clarity and control over your business. 
Over 20 years, Chris and I have seen it all. The more businesses get stuck in the chaos and complexity, the harder it is to grow, stay healthy, and sustainable as a business. That's why he and I created System & Soul. It is the only business framework that helps you run better systems and do it with the soul of your business in mind. We want to help business leaders like you find breakthrough. If you're ready, learn more at systemandsoul.com. And hey, we're training new System & Soul coaches right now. If you're an experienced business leader and you believe you can help leadership teams overcome their mess, we would love to talk with you. We've got a few limited seats in our training cohort, so do not wait. Learn more at systemandsold.com forward slash coach. Uh, that's so powerful listening as a business owner myself on that journey of starting my company with intentionality in mind, but the day-to-day -day can really take you in a different direction if you're not conscious and you're not paying attention, right? And that's, you're giving me some things to think about, Ryan. So I it's, appreciate that. It's, so, no, this concept of ownership versus management, like you get a paycheck for doing whatever you're doing in your job. And that's what you get a paycheck for. You could go get a paycheck for your, I know you were in, came from corporate America, but now you're, I mean, that paycheck and your annual income, let's re, let's, the reality is every owner needs to pay their bills. So we need to have some sort of cash flow. And then by, we have to have this path to say, like, how do we decouple ourselves from this day-to-day -day job if we don't want it? Well, it's going to take us to reinvest and we need to make sure that we can make our income needs out of distributions or some other form in order to get on top of that cash flow pile so we can reinvest. And most people right. haven't clarified that. So they get stuck in this convoluted ownership role versus management role when realistically it's, it's an asset and you've got a job and you have to separate them because they've got completely different paths. And I love what you're saying here because it does leave open the choice. It gives you choices. You can still manage aspects of the business and own it, but have the freedom in that if that's your choice versus mm -hmm. burning out because there's nobody that could possibly take your spot because you're so entwined in your own business and needed. That's fascinating. So when a business owner has clarity about what they want and why, and their leadership team then has that clarity of what does healthy growth look like for the business, for the owner, for all the stakeholders, what effect does that clarity have on the day-to-day -day operations of a business and on the businesses as a culture? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think healthy growth is value growth. It's not just top line revenue for the sake of vanity metrics. You can go to your peer group and say, I've got a $30 million business that's loaded with debt and five partners and it's worth nothing. Like, let's get to what's really important here, which is building sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow so we can increase the value of our company. And so when you say, when you have the clarity, and it's usually in the financials, which is why. I, literally after seven years of doing this, we built, I built out the fractional CFO service with my partner because it's like, we can't even give people the roadmap unless they see it in the numbers. And so what, it, when, when, how does that translate into the management meetings and then your culture sitting down with, you know, your, whether you get your VTO, your whatever operating system that you're working on and you're like, okay, what are your, what are your goals for the next 90 days? Well, revenue, 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 or whatever the vanity metrics are. It's like, we want to make sure that, you know, they're not just, those metrics are important, but are they driving value? And so if you know what the value of your company's worth today, and there's enterprise value, but then there's equity value. So think about it like a purchase price of a house. If your house is worth a half million bucks, mm -hmm. if you have 400 grand in debt, your equity value is hundred grand. Let's get the executive team compensated on growing equity value. Cause you could finance your way 
to enterprise value and have nothing at the end of the day. And so again, if we're tying our CEO or GM or our integrator, and then our executive team to equity growth, you can have a long-term vesting plan or whatever cash bonuses or whatever metrics it is that say, hey, sales and marketing, value growth. That's what's going to happen. And then your executive team can literally get compensated on the value growth they create. It's like the, it's the cheapest form of compensation as the owner to the executives as possible. Then people start collaborating together, like our sales and marketing, and then our service divisions at our family business, constantly at odds, sales, service, sales, service, arguing constantly. And then when you, when you reshift and reframe the compensation towards value growth towards the end, you know, whatever yes. data might be people collaborate yeah discussion and it's yes. just because they're I see all that happening together i see that happening in my business right now we just hired a new vp of business development so that i could fire myself from that job i feel so proud whenever i get to fire myself from job um but the only metric we're paying attention to in our business obviously we're looking at a lot of metrics all the time but the one that the whole team's rallying around is client retention because that's what creates value in our business it's not the win you know, it's the retention mm-hmm. and the quality mm-hmm. of those relationships and what we do with them. So even that, um, knowing what metrics matter that bring the team together in collaboration, that's like a game changer for a culture. Well, and, and then like the reality is every executive knows that the business owner, regardless of the age, is going to have to do something with the business at some point. And this whole world of like, hey, we're going to deny it. And if we don't talk about it, then the executives aren't going to talk about it. But like, I mean, everybody knows you're going to have to have some sort of triggering event at some point somewhere down the road. This is not about selling. It's about creating value to create choices. And if you get the executives to understand that, your chances of getting the valuation that you want to do an ESOP or an internal transfer or picking the right private equity firm or third party, it could be 30 years down the road, but you're essentially getting the, the dialogue ingrained in the con- culture that if we grow value, we're going to have choices. So everybody gets what they want. If yeah. we don't grow value, we're going to have limited choices and that sucks for everyone. That's exactly true. And right as I was starting my business, I read this great little book called Built to Sell, which was built on a fable of an agency. You've probably read it. It's an easy mm-hmm. read, makes a lot of sense in a professional services B2B world. Um, but it helped me to set a conversation day one with everybody I brought into the company that we're building a high valuation business. So we always have the option to sell, but never Mm -hmm. have to, if it's not for the right reasons, right? Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Choices. I mean, it's truly choices. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's say I'm a business owner listening to this conversation and I'm starting to realize that even though I might have some really exciting metrics happening in my business, maybe I'm missing some of the foundational purpose and the articulation of what it is that I want and and maybe I don't have an intentional growth plan for my business. Maybe I have never even articulated to my team or myself what healthy growth means for our company. So where do I even begin at this point? Because the train is on the tracks and we're racing fast. So what next? So uh, this is a selfless, I don't even know if it's a plug, but the, the, this, the challenge of the, the question that you just asked is the problem that I saw in the marketplace, Jennifer, back when I, after we had sold and I went, what the heck was that? I, you know, I had so many regrets or wish I would have, or I learned, you know, I could have done different things. And it's about taking this complicated world of all the topics of exits and valuations and deal structures. And what do you want? And how do you organize all this? How do you strategically grow value? And tried to make it simple. So we created five principles. And that's truly how to think about this. And they go in order. And you, you, I think you can put the link in the show notes. But we created these five intentional growth principles to figure out, A, 
your personal drivers. What do you want and why from your business? Really thinking about it. Second one is your financial targets, because obviously what you want is going to be impacted by your financials. Mm -hmm. And there are three financial targets, one of them being the value of your company. The third principle is your exit options. And there's a bunch of them. And we, we've nailed down five ESOPs, private equity, strategics, internal transfers, and then it's called search funds. Each one of those are going to impact your role differently and the valuation differently. So those first three kind of like lay the groundwork to say, okay, here's what I want long-term, mm -hmm. understanding the end. Then the next question is, how do I grow value? That's principle four. And the, the fifth principle is how to hire your team of advisors to enhance your ability to essentially get what you want. But it's putting, like you said at the very beginning of the, of the show, it's a framework. This is not a, here's exactly what to do, because guess what? Life and business are complicated and chaos. And you and I talked about every day we wake up and it's, you know, who knows what decision is going to be thrown in front of us, but there's at least a framework to say, if I have to make this decision, here's the ripple effect that it could have, you know, down the road instead of waking up and having regrets. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of us, even myself included, got into business ownership without even necessarily being intentional about business ownership. And I confess when I started my company five years ago, part of it was in the afterburn of losing my first job ever that I ever lost and being just angry enough to prove everybody wrong. And the other half was that I truly did want to start a business, right? <laughs> yeah, Anger only fuels you for a few months. And then after that, you <laughs> got to sort out your soul and do it for the right reasons. But so for other business owners that, that got into ownership without ever having been an entrepreneur before, and they're in the thick of it, um, it seems like the world at large, there's a limited narrative of what exits exist, what exit paths exist. And you just rattled off several that I'm not personally as familiar with. So what would you say is the most over-glorified exit path and which one is the most under-leveraged and worth looking at? Um, yeah, totally great points. And honestly, that was what I realized too, because like when we were feeling trapped in our business, the only way we figured out how to get out was to sell to a third party and gut the business. And, you know, because we focused on the purchase price and that is what, you know, out of 300 people that have been on my show, I can guarantee you people that have been on my show that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, there are plenty of them are miserable because they didn't think about what is important to them. And so back to your question about the different exit options, this is about learning this stuff because then you can actually chart your own path instead of trying to learn on the fly. So I think that there's really two main options that everybody thinks about. One is the third party. Here are my competitors. Here's my landscape. Here's my suppliers. Here's my you know people that I do joint partnerships with. They're gonna, they would naturally do way better if they owned us. Everybody's thinking about that constantly. And half of those people or more are now probably backed by private equity firms. So that's a whole, you know, a professional investor that owns a company, but we won't get into that. Then there's the other option of on the other end of the spectrum, Jennifer, which is internal transfers, partnership, family members. It's essentially a seller's note, takes a long time. Those are two. And you, we convoluted the ownership of the equity plus the job in both of those, because they're very like one and done. In between there is a spectrum of almost the infinite amount of combinations based on what you want. So, but like the one that to answer your question, the one that I, I'm personally excited about, we have no vested interest in driving more people towards this other than the fact that, you know, like mechanically it's so beautiful when you structure it, right? Is ESOPs selling to your employees. You pay, you, I mean, it's a financial valuation. You can get a third to half your money up front. Seller's note on the other portion of, you know, double digit returns. You can still be the CEO of your company and invest back into the business and the company no longer pays any taxes. Like 
fairly interesting, wow. right? Like I would like to that quick description might be changing business owners' lives right now listening to this podcast. ESOP is such an under hyped, it's just not talked about very frequently. And, they and have it's something so many horror stories, Jennifer, about it, but it's all done on the cap table. So it has no operational risk to your business at all if designed correctly. Hmm. Like you're not like, and this is why when someone says I want out in five years, I'm like, well, there's this thing cool called an ESAP. Well, if you haven't built a management team and built a good business that's got sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow, you probably can't do it. Do you see like you need to grow value to have these choices? And you can pretty much pre-engineer the valuation that you want if you're focused on value growth. And then you don't have to wait for market timing or, you know, a you know, frothy market like we have right now. Even if you didn't want to do that, Jennifer, if you built a valuable business, it's always an option. Yeah, that's the, that is the highlight. That's the takeaway today. And um, boy, you and I could talk for length and we often do, um, but we're time constrained today. So I'm going to end with one last question. And that's, you know, the listeners of this podcast are listening to the System and Soul podcast and, and learning about exit systems and frameworks for decision-making is powerful stuff, but we also want to honor the soul of a business, right? The relationships and the fabric that makes a business meaningful through those relationships. So with, you had a lot of life lessons in the sale of your family business that when you probably look back on in hindsight, have given you a pretty big dose of wisdom for how you lead your client conversations today. So with that experience and wisdom, how would you say that defining intentional growth for one's company helps to protect the soul of the organization? That's what you just asked is exactly why I've been on this mission since July of 2014, because I had to gut the soul of my company to get the purchase price. So my dad could retire and I could make some money and that I went home and I, I mean, I actually cried. I mean, it was like, I gutted everything that I had created and I was like, well, I wish I could have gotten the wealth and the impact. And we didn't build a valuable business that would have had those choices. So I think protecting the soul is really, it starts with understanding what do you want from all the stakeholders? I don't know if people are familiar with conscious capitalism where you can make a bunch of money and do a lot of good, like God forbid, <laughs> like you can do both <laughs> at the same time. So I would say that by being intentional about what do you want long-term and then like how to actually be purposeful with your chart, you know, charting that path forward. When you're sitting down and you're integrating these, what you want with the business and the stakeholders, making sure the valuation is supporting that so you can make those choices then you execute like hell in your operating system. You're very, then there's no stress about when you're sitting your quarterlies, your monthlies, your weeklies of, am I working on the right things? Like, I think the anxiety that people get of, I don't know whether I'm working on the right things to make sure I can always hold what I want true. Mm. If they're intentional about that, then they can be confident in their decisions. And then they can focus on the outliers instead of wondering if they're making progress towards what they want to keep the soul alive, regardless of who owns it. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's a wonderful thought to end on. And I'm, while I'm sorry that you had to experience that soul gutting experience, the wisdom that you gleaned out of it is certainly helping so many other business owners think differently and architect different options for themselves and their families and their employees and all of their stakeholders. So thank you for being a blessing to all the listeners today by sharing that experience, Ryan. And um, just tell us real quickly, a couple paths for if people want to connect with you or your business, what's the best way for them to find you? Go to arcona.io and that's the hub. It's the website, right? You know, the marketing, the marketing gist here is we got our podcast on there, the intentional growth podcast. 
Um, and then the two main landing pages on the website are the five principles. So if they wanted to get more uh, yeah, of an experience on these five principles and how to clarify this, we've got an exercise there. And then also a financial assessment which is more technical, but it's really like, hey, where am I at today? And am I headed in the right direction with the financials? So just a website, a website, and then Ryan Tansom on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here with me today, Ryan. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate you having me.